from the Gospel of John, the first chapter. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. John testified to Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks ahead of me, because He was before me. From His fullness we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart, who has made God known. This is the testimony given by John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny it, but confessed, I am not the Messiah. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Then they said to him, who are you? Let us have an answer for those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees, and they asked him, Why then are you baptizing if you are neither the Messiah, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? Jesus answered them, I baptize with water. Among you stands one whom you do not know, the one who is coming after me. I'm not worthy to untie the thong of his sandal. This took place in Bethany, across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. And the next day he saw Jesus coming towards him, and he declared, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. <clears throat> About 1,000 years ago, a new plague began to decimate communities all across Europe. We know now that it originated from a poisonous fungus that was in the rye that was being pounded into flour to make bread. And as this plague attacked the central nervous system, it caused hallucinations, convulsions, and then horrible skin infections that usually led to death. As you can imagine, there were not only swells of grief and of despair across Europe, but a tidal wave of fear. People wondered if they would be next, if there was any place safe. And their misunderstanding of the disease caused them to be fearful of any contact with people who were suffering. And sadly, this meant that many 
sufferers of this plague had to die alone, feeling abandoned by their loved ones and certainly by God. And in response to this, a small group of Christians formed a religious order called the Brothers of St. Anthony. And they dedicated their lives to caring for plague victims. And the first thing that the brothers did was to build a hospital where people could be welcomed, where they could care for the sick. They had to know that it was, in their mind, a great danger to be in contact with these people. But they got beyond that fear, and they did what they felt God was calling them to do. And day after day and year after year, they welcomed the sick into that hospital, treating them with herbs and other plant remedies and reminding them that Christ was with them in their suffering. Several hundred years later, when the bubonic plague swept across Europe, the brothers of St. Anthony were there. But now they were many in number, and they had built over 350 hospitals in an ever-widening circle of care. And one of those hospitals was in the little town of Isenheim in Alsace. It had a big open room where the sick were treated every day. And that's where the brothers also decided to create a space for worship and daily prayer. And with money from some benefactors, an artist named Matthias Grunewald was commissioned with the task of creating a large triptych that could convey the heart of faith to everyone who gathered in that space. And for the next four years, from 1512 to 1516, Grunewald created an enormous movable altarpiece, which then served as the central object of devotion for everyone there. Triptychs like that were common across Europe, but Grunewald's was unlike any other. When I went and saw it a few weeks ago in an old abbey near Isenheim, I felt like I was standing with everyone who has looked at Grunewald's striking depiction of Jesus, including those first patients and brothers who did that exactly 500 years ago. From a distance, the main panel looks like so many other scenes of the crucifixion. Jesus is hanging on the cross. There is a small crowd that gathers at his feet. But when you move closer, you see the remarkable thing that Grunewald has done. After closely observing all of those who were suffering from the current plague, Grunewald covered the body of Christ with the same hideous, agonizing sores that he saw on their bodies. I can't imagine what it was like for the victims of the plague to see the suffering Christ and then see themselves. It had to be very moving and I think very comforting for all of them. The God they saw before them was not a God who was judging them, not a God punishing them for their sin, as many assumed or a God who had left them to fend for themselves. Instead, they saw a God in Jesus who was truly one with them. A word that has not just become any flesh, but their flesh, full of grace and truth. 
Over the years, the Isenheim altarpiece has proclaimed that same message to everyone who has stood or sat or kneeled or laid dying before it. For a while, it was taken out of view and hidden in a cave by Nazi Germans during the Second World War. Ironically, they knew it was a masterpiece, wanted to preserve it. But before and after that, every person who has seen it has seen an image of God that is indelible. When I think about the suffering that has been experienced in our own country and across the world during this month of July, I wonder what Grunewald would have done with all our pathos. Perhaps he would have painted Jesus as an African-American man fearing for his life. Perhaps he would have painted Jesus as a person who puts his or her life on the line every day to protect others and to defend the peace. Perhaps Jesus would have looked like an innocent person strolling down a boulevard in Nice or shopping at a mall in Munich. Then again, Grunewald may have shocked us and painted Jesus as a person suffering from PTSD or a debilitating mental illness. In the end, his message to all of us is that the God made known to us in Jesus is the God who is present in the suffering of every human being. Standing in front of that Isenheim altarpiece that caused me to wonder a little bit more about what the brothers of St. Anthony saw in this dramatic image. When the sufferers looked at Jesus, they saw themselves. When the brothers looked at Jesus, they saw the sufferers. And I think it had to be a renewal for them in their own sense of call and desire to be one with these people as Jesus was one with them. The instinct that is there, that instinct of faith, was the opposite of fear. Fear in the Middle Ages and in the present is the force that drives us apart and it leads us to see the suffering of other people as a threat to our own well-being. And for that reason, fear is also a force that can be easily manipulated by those who lead and those who want to lead, both then and now. It's the force that takes the July pathos of St. Paul and Baton Rouge and Dallas and Nice and Munich and turns it into a rallying call for hateful and vengeful action. Another sad truth is that fear moves otherwise caring people toward indifference. We feel overwhelmed by the extent and the gravity of suffering in months like this, and we fear that it's just too much to take into our sheltered lives, so we turn our eyes away. If Elie Wiesel were here, he would remind us again that the opposite of love is not hate, it is indifference. When Wiesel died on the second day of this month of July, I began to reflect on the many gifts that he shared with the global community through his art of writing. And like Grunewald, Wiesel gave us an image 
of a God who is fully identified with human suffering. In one of his moving descriptions of life in a Nazi concentration camp where he was as a child, Bissell once described a scene where detainees were forced to watch while other Jewish comrades were put to death by hanging. Behind me, he wrote, I heard a man ask, for God's sake, where is God? And from within me, Wiesel said, I heard a voice answer, where is God? There is where, hanging here from this gallows. But Eli Wiesel was not driven to hatred or indifference by such violence. Instead, he did what the brothers of St. Anthony did over a thousand years ago. He saw suffering for what it is, and he became one with it in a spirit of trust and of hope. There's a long road of suffering ahead of you, Wiesel once wrote, but don't lose courage. We shall all see the day of liberation. Have faith in life. Above all else, have faith. Drive out despair, and you will keep death away from yourselves. Hell is not for eternity. And then Wiesel offered this sage advice for all of us. Let there be comradeship among you. We are all brothers and sisters, and we are all suffering the same fate. The same smoke floats over all our heads, he said. So help one another. It's the only way to survive. In the crucifixion scene that Grunewald captured in his Isenheim altarpiece, and in the gospel reading today, John the Baptist sees the embodiment of that truth in Jesus Christ. And he points us to the word made flesh with an outstretched hand, and in the gospel with a bold confession of faith, here is the Lamb of God. Here is the incarnation of sacrificial love that is never afraid to become one with others in life, in death, and in all that is to come. Amen.